This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Today's guest is one that you are familiar with, certainly if you watch ESPN. Steve Levy has one of the most high-profile jobs at that company. He is the voice of Monday Night Football. If you are a sports media viewer or watcher, you certainly have seen Steve for three decades on SportsCenter, college football calls, many, many different uh, segments and games involving the NHL. Our conversation today is about his uh, first year in the Monday Night Football booth, why he believes that his broadcast group has uh, earned the right to come back, the unprecedented nature of this year, his thoughts on whether ESPN will get the NHL again, and much more. I thought it was a really, really interesting interview, and I appreciate Steve Levy's time. So without further ado, Steve Levy of ESPN. All right, as I said at the top... Um, Steve Levy, it, I mean, unless, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know this, uh, it would probably be rather insane, but he is of course the lead play-by-play commentator for Monday Night Football. Um, as I mentioned in, uh, the long intro I gave him up at the top, he, uh, you know, he's now been at ESPN for almost 30 years, which is sort of crazy just to think about. Wow. Yeah, I know, yeah. Steve. And, uh, you've seen him obviously on SportsCenter for many decades, the, the NHL, the XFL, college football, and then various other projects at ESPN. And I'm pleased to be joined by Steve Levy. Steve, I feel like this has been in the making for a long time. So thank you for uh, coming on the Sports Media Podcast. No, I appreciate you having me. Uh, I've listened. You're one of my favorite followers on Twitter, too. Always interesting. And um, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. People seem to enjoy being on your podcast. I hear that, you know, they laugh a lot. It's Comes across likable, so I've been looking forward to this day myself. Uh, Steve, by the way, before this podcast is over, you'll be getting a call from ESPN's PR department. So congratulations on well, that. What are they going to nice say, though? What's that call going to say? Like, <laughs> hey, great job with Richard or no? <laughs> it's going to be Steve. Uh, where's your playbook, sir? Right. Um, all right. So uh, let's start here. What You know, you have Monday Night Football, which is obviously a very, very busy year. We'll get to the fact that you did one of the international broadcasts for the Super Bowl, which is really interesting to me. But um, let's look forward for a second. What is your schedule over over the next couple months? Do you do you know what events or what assignments you'll have? Yeah. Um, so the first thing is I'll go back home. I will go back to Sports Center uh, starting in March, and um, they give me a couple of weeks here. I take some vacation. Had some carryover days. Really hadn't you know. That Monday night football, as you mentioned, it's, you know, we're talking about a full-time job. There are no days off um, in terms of the, the NFL season. So, yeah, right back to Sports Center on, on, uh, on March, and we'll, we'll see how long that goes for. Hope to take a big chunk in the summer and then hopefully get back in the NFL business next year, next season. So, yeah, so it, this is interesting to me because, and I realize ESPN is obviously different than um, CBS or Fox, but I think for viewers, like it, it has to be in a weird way, a little bit strange, because like you would not expect like Jim Nance to do the NFL season, and then all of a sudden he's doing sort of our signature highlight show. Now I, I understand CBS doesn't have Sports Center and Fox doesn't have Sports Center, but um, I, that's interesting to me. Do you, like do you are you one who likes to sort of flex the different kind of muscles that one would use from doing NFL play by play, and then? going in the studio environment and doing, you know, what has been obviously your, uh, your company's flagship sports show? You know, ESPN's a different place like that, right? Um, because we are 24-7 constantly sports. And I've always worked that way. I've always worked that schedule. You know, I get the, you know, X amount of weeks off like everybody else has been there a long time. But other than that, I, I expect it to work. And um, I like it. I, I've always had, I've always had the best gig there, Richard, because, you know, whether it was hockey or college football or whatever it was, you know, 
half the year kind of on the road and then half the year in uh, doing sports center. Um, and they're so different, right? With what, what you're actually doing on the air is so different. And quite frankly, like, I really have to change, right? I mean, I, I can't be the same person on SportsCenter I am uh, on Monday Night Football. It just doesn't fly. It's not the, it's not the same. Uh, obviously, the audience is very different. Uh, but, but, you know, flip comments just off the top of my head that I would just, you know, break into cracking up on SportsCenter, that, that just wouldn't work elsewhere. So uh, it's very different. It's a, it's a challenge and a, a challenge I welcome that. And I also like the fact of covering all the sports. So, hey, Sports Center's been great for me. Like it's, you know, it's just it's the best seat in sports. It just is every night to come on after a big game or whatever it might be. And it's so unscripted now, Richard. I mean, I don't know if I want to get into that later, but like how that show has evolved, Sports Center. You know, there's there's almost virtu- there's virtually no writing uh, anymore on Sports Center. I kind of like the writing aspect of it. You know, it's it's all ad lib, it's all off the cuff, and that makes it fun and exciting, and it flies. You know, okay. So let me, I'll, uh, before we get into Monday football, I'll ask you about that. So, like, are, what is it like? You are you have like a shot sheet, and you're sort of aware of the highlights that are coming up, or it's sort of a, um, you know, it's almost sort of like uh, the WWE where you're 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 given a sort of an outline of what's going to happen, and then within that outline, you're able to you're able to uh, to ad lib or how like how does it work if I, if you're doing an hour show how do you know let's say what's coming at minute 32 um so so there's a rundown but really we joke about the rundown it's it's virtually worthless you know that I mean just because it changes so much and we have an earlier meeting and hey what should we lead with and 99% of the time you're never leading with the same thing because something happens and that's that's the beauty of the night in sports but uh, so the rundown takes us through the hour of the show, but we do have shot sheets. And for people who aren't aware, that is, that's the specific game highlight, right? And that's three boxes. Back in the day, it was handwritten, and people had awful handwriting, and I have awful handwriting. Um, and that's really the first time we're seeing the highlight. But that's the basics, right? It's, it's the situation, second and goal, two minutes left, first, you know, in the first quarter, whatever it might be. And then the event, the actual action uh, that happens, a touchdown pass, and then the result that made the score X. So it's pretty, pretty much just the basics, and then uh, and then we get to ad lib around it, it's just to give us an idea of what's coming next. But again, the show's gotten so loose and so much fun. Now, now I haven't been on it really since probably you know August, uh, but that's how I remember it. And so I am looking forward to getting back in March. Uh, Sports Center's always been home. Uh, it's always been my bread and butter, and you know. I thought I was the luckiest guy in, in the industry uh, just to be on SportsCenter, and now you know things have actually gotten even better. So, okay, so let's. Uh, I appreciate that. that's re- that's very interesting. Um, all right, let's get into Monday Night Football. You um, you're the seventh play-by-play voice in the 51-year history of that franchise, maybe 52 now, um, which is just sort of incredible to think about, just to sort of be part of that part of that group. Um, you the season is complete. And I realize this is not an easy thing to do, but I, I want you to first self-evaluate your work as the lead broadcaster, and then how would you evaluate the larger group overall? Uh, I, I think it's probably pretty similar, you know, from from me personally and for our group. Um, I think we were far better in week 16 than we were week one. Um, you know, just like everybody else, we didn't have any preseason games. Um, and so we had to deal with that. And obviously it was a unique season. And I feel like, listen, any, you know, anything I tell you about, you know, doing this through the pandemic is going to come off like an excuse. So I I don't want to give you that, but I'm trying to be realistic and how it impacted us and, and everybody, but, but everybody on the planet was dealing with, you know, with, with, uh, different sort of situations you weren't accustomed to and, and being um, able to bounce around from, from, from place to place um, and, and things just not being easy, right? Nothing was easy like it would have been in previous years. So, so honestly, I, th- I think that made us better. Um, and it, it took some time. It absolutely took some time. Uh, I obviously, I watch every single game I, I, I did. Um, I would not want to go back and watch week one right now. I'm sure I was sort of shot out of a cannon. Uh, I really did have to measure myself week two, week three, week four. Hey, Steve, take a breath here. You know, and when that music rolls, Richard, listen, it's become cliche. There is something about the music. I just, I can't get away from it. There just is. 
and uh, you hear that, and then you hear um, your producer, in my case, uh, the great Phil Dean, uh, say, go, Steve, or something like that. You know, you just, you, if you allow yourself, you can get swept up in it. And so I probably was the first couple of weeks. I thought I was too high. I thought it was too strong. And then I, you know, toned it down. But, hey, you know, I've always sort of been an excitable guy. I think that's been one of my, you know, I don't know if I have a style really, but if I did, you know, I'm, I'm sort of on the exciting, excited side, right? How do, you, how do you come off excited and exciting without screaming and yelling, right? Enthusiastic, and, and that's all real from my perspective, and that's who I am. And you see that on SportsCenter, too. Uh, the red light comes on, and I'm, you know, I'm fired up to be there. So, um, so that took a while, and then I sort of, I sort of found my way. And I, the interesting thing, I think it's interesting to me, I hope it's interesting to you and your, and your listeners, but like I just – I, I started doing less, if that makes sense. And I watch, yeah. I watch all the top NFL broadcasters now, and I watch them totally differently. I've been a massive NFL fan since the day I watched sports, okay? Growing up in New York and all that stuff. And, you know, Sundays were special, Monday nights at halftime. But I've watched the booth differently. I've spoken to a lot of people. And I just I felt like I had to be right on the tackler every time, you know? And I watch, I watch the big broadcasters, and half the time they don't even tell you who tackles who makes the tackle? It's, you know, on a, on a, on a two-yard gain, is that really important? Probably not. And, you know, to be right on the yard line and all that every second and the receiver in the back, and there's a lot going on. And so I sort of, I started backing off of that stuff. Uh, I took an extra beat. I thought it made the booth sound better. It sounded more relaxed, uh, more conversational. And so just specifically in this part for me, that was the biggest adjustment. And I really felt like, I don't know, week eight, nine, started to find a groove. And then by, you know, 11, 12, 13, I'm like, damn, the season's coming to an end here. And I'm just really starting to feel it and feel good about uh, what I'm doing here. So it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, making progress. It, you know, the awful coach speak one game at a time. I think that's what our whole group was doing. Uh, we were so all unfamiliar with each other. You know, Phil had never done it. Uh, uh, Lewis obviously had never done it. Greasy had never done it. I had done it. Lisa was the veteran for nine years. Jimmy Platt, our great director, was in his second year. Um, and and for, for great that he had the experience, he'd never worked with any of us, you know? And so to this day still, and this blows people away, we've never sat down in a room together. Not a single time have we been in, a, in one room together, the you know producer, director, and the four on-air people, or even the five on-air people. So it's been, a, it's been a crazy learning experience, and I can instantly tell you, Richard, we will all be so much better uh, next season for, a, for a, a large handful of reasons, but I feel like we made progress. That's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry about that. No, no. It's a podcast. We, we, we celebrate long-winded answers. <laughs> okay. um, so a couple of things there, yeah. Steve. Um, you know, this has been obviously something that all broadcasters who have been on the road this year have not been able to do, and that's sort of develop camaraderie and chemistry away from the booth. You know, you go out to dinner, um, you hang out at production meetings, uh, you know, maybe like you go for a drink in the hotel bar. It all sort of generates chemistry uh, off air, which ultimately leads to chemistry on air. You didn't have the option of doing that, obviously, during COVID. How did you approach that when you were in Booth? Uh, one of the things that was really different about this year is physically you're separated, right, from Lewis and Brian. Like you, um, you know, Jim Nance would tell me, and Tony Romo have told me a lot of times, like they like to sort of touch each other in the back when they're like really excited to sort of amplify or emphasize a play. Like you can't do that during COVID. So um, how did you find what was just you know, unprecedented and odd, like literally in the booth, not you know, trying to find chemistry, but like literally not even being able to like sort of pat the guy on the back next to you. Yeah. And, and re along those lines, I also am sort of touchy feely when it comes to that, you know, a, a swipe to the arm kind of thing or a, or a gesture. Hey, I got this. No, you take this, that kind of thing. Look, the, one of the advantages we did had, maybe the only advantage in this spot was uh, Greasy and I had done four years together of college football. So, so we were good. We had that down. You know, he knew how I like to work. I know how he likes to work. And now Lewis and I have worked an awful lot together over the years, you know, uh, Super Bowl week, segments in the studio, but, but never obviously in the play-by-play. -play. We did the opener last year. 
So, you know, the doubleheader, the annual Monday night doubleheader to open the season, we got that second game last season, the season before. And so that was our first experience. And it was, it was actually really cool. It was the Broncos and the Raiders. I got to go to the black hole, you know, before they, before they stopped playing, I moved to Las Vegas. That was neat for me, but we got to go to training camp, the three of us at least. So we got to hang out. This is obviously pre uh, pre COVID-19. So we got to have dinners and training camp and be in the booth and rehearsal games. So we had some building blocks there, but as far as the booth this year, yes, they wouldn't even let us come to the game together. Could not be in the same car from the hotel to the stadium. And, you know, we get there really early. So then we get to the booth and there's rehearsal, and all. but Lewis really, so the way we do it, just the way it, it laid out, I guess, I don't know where the cameras or the monitors, but you know, so I'm all the way facing the field. I'm all the way to the left. Greasy's in the middle and Riddick is to the right. So, so when we're doing the game, looking at the field, Riddick is really far away from me, right? And, you know, I'm trying to wave, you know, air traffic controller style to sort of get his attention. And, you know, if he's looking at the play down to the right side, the 10-yard line. He's never going to see me, not even out of his peripheral vision, you know? So, so that takes some time. I, I don't know really how Greasy and Riddick did it. It is, uh, you know, it's, it's the magic of the three-man booth. Like, you know, that's just the play ends and I stop talking. And, and how Brian, Lewis, and Phil figured out who's going to speak next, I have no idea. And I think, I think you'd agree, considering the lack of familiarity we had for a three-man booth, we really didn't step on each other at all. And that I was, do agree with that. Yeah, that was really remarkable to me and how, how those two sort of divvied up the analyst role. Like, my, my role is so defined, right? Play ends, I stop. You know, a couple seconds for the snap, that's when I start again. So what they do in between really doesn't impact me in terms of the mechanics. Um, so that was a part of it. And, and, and you learn how each guy likes to work, how they're going to share, who's comfortable with what. I will tell you this. Uh, I think Greasy and Riddick are two of the most cerebral football people that I know. They are so high IQ when it comes to – probably everything, but especially football. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be around such, such smart people. And I really, I see myself as the other guy, as the guy at home, as the audience. It's, you know, I, my biggest strength I've always felt is I know what I don't know. And so I've got these two guys and I really try to lean on them uh, an awful lot. And for that matter, John Parry, who was a great assistant. I mean, you know, you want to talk about the COVID world, um, so we had in our booth in front of me, Richard, we had where there used to be people, we had monitors. Okay. So I did not have a statistician in the booth with me. I had a statistician monitor and, uh, my guy, Tom Barbary, uh, he had a chart he would point on his board and it would pop up on a monitor. How many yards on a gain this quarterback was, has hit his last six passes, whatever it was in a card. The spotter was usually standing next to you, Ben Boma. Spotter to the stars, I like to call him. Uh, he would, you know, normally point on my board. Well, he had a copy of the board, and if he was in the booth, he was so far away, there was a camera on the board. And so his unmanicured hands would pop up on my on another monitor, a, a separate monitor, and I could see who he was pointing to. Uh, usually a stage manager, directs all the traffic in the booth, promos, cards. We didn't have one of those people either, you know, so – uh, there was a virtual stage manager. So all these different things, instead of people, uh, each were represented by a monitor. And so that was really weird. For the most part, they would close the doors behind us. And it was Brian Lewis and myself and just the three of us in a booth, which would normally have, you know, six, seven, eight people. So um, and then the weirdest thing really was we'd be five minutes before kick. and We're all fired up. We've already rehearsed the open and we're ready to roll. And we're looking around and there's nobody in the stadium. Right. There's not a no people. We're like, let's go, guys. Let's fire it up in the truck. Here we go. Here we go. You know, like trying to form our own our own juice, our own energy. So, you know, that's sort of some of the things we were dealing with. Um, but the only thing that matters is what comes through the, the speakers and the screen for the audience at home. And I, I'd like to think they would agree with us that, you know, we started in a good place, uh, but that we got stronger as the season went on. Steve, how has ESPN management left it with you and your group regarding next year? So 
I would say they have been uh, incredible with their communication. And without getting at the names, I would say to the very top and down, we have heard from a lot of people, well, at least I have personally, uh, you know, once or twice a week even, uh, either just, you know, compliments or constructive criticism. And really, for the most part, it's been extremely positive uh, throughout the entire season. We have just come off the Super Bowl, just getting back from, you know, Tampa St. Pete. And, you know, I'd hope to hear something sooner rather than later. But everything I've heard to this point uh, has been incredibly positive and, and points in the right direction of us all returning for the NFL next season, which is uh, all I can really hope for at this point. Let me ask you directly, and this, again, would be yeah. your opinion. In your opinion, sure. should your group be asked back for a second year? Absolutely. Uh, no doubt in my mind, like I said, I thought we started in a good place, finished strong. And now, Richard, you know, with a year under our belts collectively, uh, and I don't want to speak for Brian and Lewis, and, and you know, Lisa's obviously the staple, um, but, you know, in, in some kind of a normal uh, NFL season, uh, I think we'd only be better. I, I know me personally how much better I will automatically be game one of next season, strictly based on the experience and everything I learned and what I know now. And then with some, you know, some shred of normalcy, hopefully entirely out of this pandemic and everybody's happy and safe and healthy and we're back to packing stadiums. Um, I, I, I think we got the chance to now stretch out. You know what I mean? I, I, I kind of played it safe. I'll be honest with you, Rich. I, I played it safe. You know, I um, certainly early on I was safe and, you know, take a shot here and a chance here. Uh, but I'm ready to stretch out a little bit more come next season. And so it's a matter of going from, hey, you know, we're good to let's be really good. Can we get to great? Can, is that something that can happen, you know, come next season? And I think, I think this group is capable of it, and I'm looking forward to being given that opportunity. One of, the, uh, one of the things that always exists for someone in your position and someone in Lewis's position and someone in Brian's position is that there's always going to be speculation regarding other names. Uh, that's not just the case for Steve Levy. That's the case for Jim Nance or Al Michaels or anybody who's called NFL games even for uh, many, many, many years. How did you feel um, when you would see and again, I'm not even suggesting that the the subjects did this themselves, but how did you feel when you would see Chris Fowler or Kirk Herbstreet or others being discussed for full-time Monday Night Football duty? You know, I probably put myself in the shoes of, of the guys who did Monday Night Football before me. You know, my name was bandied about there six years ago and then three years ago and then two years ago. I think that's I think that's part of the business. I think it's part of the job. And I think anybody who's in the, in the football broadcasting business uh, would want to be considered for Monday Night Football. And um, so I get it. I understand it. And listen, I, I wasn't comfortable when my name was brought up, when other people had the job. But it certainly wasn't coming from me. Uh, like I said, I think it's part of the business. You get to this point in your career, uh, I think you develop some tough skin. But I, I was not bothered at all. Uh, by it. Uh, Chris Fowler is a really good dude. He even called me up about the whole thing. I'm like, Chris, hey, no issue here, buddy. You got nothing to worry about with me. And uh, we're good. Never been an issue. That, that's not who I am. Um, you know, that's not what I'm about. And like I said, I was, you know, I was thrilled to be doing Sports Center, Richard. You know what I mean? So, like, um, I've, traveled, I've traveled the long road. Uh, I love this job. It is my all time dream job. I think people say that, but I really mean it. I'm still uh, best friends with. Uh, two buddies from fourth grade and uh, and they would go back and tell you that was you know that was always the job and I got you know sort of branded he's the hockey guy and I always tell people you know when I came to ESPN ESPN had hockey and we had you know six games a week or whatever it was <laughs> right. and sometimes double headers so there was an op opportunity there an opening a seat right and there's always been you know one Monday night football seat and so this has always been the dream job and uh, I love the hell out of doing it this season uh, I'm such a pro football guy. Uh, it's who I am. It's at my core. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to be doing it, you know, not just next season, quite frankly. I'm, I'm looking to do this for 20 years, man. Until, until Al wants to come over, <laughs> I have played that scenario out. Like, you know, I read everything that everybody else sees. And Al, you know, the Super Bowl in LA next year. And who knows after that? You know, and if Al decides on a whim, he's like, yeah, might be fun to go back to Monday Night Football. I'm like, here you go, Al. You know, 
What am I? What am I going to say to Al Mike? Right, so, yeah, he's grandfathered uh, into the position, uh, right? I, and I get it. Look, I'm realistic. I get it. You know, I understand how it works. So I'd like to get it back when Al doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> right. um, one of the things about the job that you have is so often. Um, this is not just externally, but internally, a lot of judgments are made um, because the game that you called was so relevant. And if you were able to call a relevant or an exciting game well, that sort of keeps, I think, an image in someone's mind. And the reason I sort of use that as a preamble is you guys may have had the game of the year. Uh, Ravens-Browns, December 14th, 47-42. Having talked to many broadcasters in the past, Steve, and you know this, like when the game is in front of you and it's a great game – you know, you almost want to stay out of the way a little bit, but you obviously don't you want it to be clean, you don't want it to make mistakes, and you want viewers to leave that game feeling like they just saw something great. So I'm you know, you had a playoff game and I'm sure you you know, you had the Bills, I know you're a Bills fan, but I have to think that like to be fortunate to get that Browns Ravens game, especially for a group in its first year, had to be phenomenal because really there is an argument to be made that you guys had the game of the year. Well, we certainly think it was, um, and it was really cool to be caught up in it, right? And it it had, you know, it wasn't a surprise, right? Because these were two good teams, a lot of star quality. Um, and then really how, how the whole thing worked, Richard, was really cool, right? Somebody on the field spotted, hey, Lamar's gone. Like We're like, what? Lamar is gone. <laughs> and so, you know, we think he might have been gone, uh, you know, like 40 minutes of real clock, obviously not game clock, real, real life clock, 40 minutes. And then, you know, we see Trace McSorley getting loose. Then McSorley gets injured. And that's when the two-minute warning came. And then, you know, Jimmy Platt, of course, gets the money shot of Lamar rushing out of the locker room like Superman. No time for warm-up throws, runs out there and throws a touchdown pass to, to Hollywood Brown, who had dropped three passes in that game. We were all over him. Uh, in that game. And then, of course, he makes the, the touchdown catch. And so uh, that was just spectacular. And, oh, by the way, that wasn't the end, right? Baker brings the Browns back. They go down the field, touchdown. And, and then Baltimore comes back and kicks a field goal, 50 yards plus, you know, with a second left. So uh, that was that was special. You know, I don't know. Could we do could we do five years of this and not have another game like that? I don't know. Maybe you get one every year. Every broadcast group gets one of those every year, but maybe not. And so it was really cool to be part of that. But we left the stadium buzzing, right? Like we felt really good, obviously the game, but we felt good about the way we handled it from the truck to the booth, to everywhere involved. And that's one of those nights, bud, right, where you want to go back and have a beer, right, with the group and celebrate and toast. Hey, here we are. And we couldn't and we didn't. And so that's sort of that emptiness off the highest of high. But when you first asked that question, Richard, I thought you were going to go in a different direction. We then had, you know, a couple of weeks later, I think it was week 16, we had Buffalo, New England, and it was all right. Right. <laughs> and the, the Bills destroyed the Patriots. And so I think that it, and that will go down. I don't get involved in Emmy reels. Don't feel like I'm winning that award anytime soon, by the way. Uh, it's a tough category. But if you look at that second half, dare I say that might have been our finest effort of the season. Total blowout mode, yep. total fill mode. All, all broadcasters will was, tell you, Steve, right? When do you earn yeah. your money? You earn your money in a blowout, not in a close game. Right. Almost anybody, you should be able to do a great game, right? You should be able to do a great game. The game takes care of itself. We got lucky in this being it was the Patriots and Belichick and Cam Newton. Where are they going? What are they doing? You know, it's week 16, season wrapping up. But that was – strong, hard opinions from Greasy and Riddick, you know, about going forward and the Patriots. And, and again, and that was awful. But I, I think we kept people around because of the strong opinions by my, you know, the two guys on my right. And there was, there was plenty to chew on. Hey, where are the Bills going from here? How good is Buffalo? Changing of the guard, AFC East. And, of course, you know, Bill Belichick's legacy, all while Tom Brady is winning in Tampa and those kinds of things. But, yeah, that, that was really the high and the low uh, we got really lucky. Uh, we had like eight eight games in a row that were one score. And I think that was a new Monday night football record. Maybe Elias keeps that. Maybe we made that up. I really don't know. But 
we had really the only real maybe we had two blowouts, but that Buffalo New England at the end of the season could have been tough. And uh, I thought our crew really made the most of that. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Steve, it's always like fascinating to me when um, broadcasters who you are used to calling um, a certain package, like you end up reading that they called the international broadcast for some uh, for some uh, foreign country, for for some country that you just wouldn't expect. And this year, um, you called the Super Bowl for that aired in Australia, New Zealand, do, any other countries, or I know those two, thanks to your excellent PR yeah, PR guy Derek Volner. Okay, so what? Yeah. So when you're calling a game, and obviously, listen, to call a Super Bowl at any time is such an incredible career uh, achievement. But when you're calling an NFL game for Australia and New Zealand, how do you approach it? Like, do you make some kind of um, adjustment to how well-versed do you think that country is in American football? Not really, no. Uh, we played it totally straight other than some ins and outs. Uh, the presenting sponsor was McDonald's, but apparently in Australia they call it Macca's. And uh, so we made a big deal about that. We actually got some, some good pub from uh, whoever the sports media critic is in Australia. <laughs> and uh, listen, we had some help. We, you know, we had some help. We, we wanted to sound, you know, give it a little bit of local flavor. Like we know what's going on. Uh, apparently they're dealing with some awful uh, wildfires yep. in Perth in Western Australia. So, you know, we referenced that and all the property that was lost there um, and, and got some positive feedback on that. But no, we, we certainly and we didn't dumb down the broadcast at all. Uh, we heard, you know, millions watch that every single year. They are big NFL fans. Uh, they get Monday night football all season long. So, you know, we tried to tie in a little bit, little local flavor, the Australian Open, you know, that kind of thing. But for the most part, I think we really played it like we would have. Uh, the biggest difference probably was, Richard, that um, their breaks, our breaks were 30 seconds shorter. So coming back every time CBS went to commercial, we'd go two. But coming back, we had 30 seconds extra to discuss whatever we wanted to talk about. Now, we had no control over the cameras. So that was, you know, Greasy and Ritter could be talking about something you wouldn't necessarily be seeing them. But it was more time to get into some issues and, and things like that. But I really enjoyed it. And I will forever tell people, hey, I broadcast the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55. That's, were, you in, were you in Tampa, Steve? Or were you guys doing that from, uh, from Bristol or somewhere else? No, I in a in a legitimate booth. Wow. Uh, in in Raymond James, uh, probably in the corner of the end zone, the other side of the the big pirate ship. Um, so I relied on the program monitor. Allows hard to see the yard line, especially down at the other end of the field. Um, but it was it was really cool and uh, really enjoyed the experience and, and look forward to uh, to calling more Super Bowls. One of the things I uh, I was told I, I thought I, I thought I might have realized it but I admittedly had to be reminded by uh, um, by Derek uh, Volner on this was that um, basically as you signed off for every game you would you would shout out a behind the scenes staffer in whether it be a tape operator operations camera person am I right about that that you would uh, that sort of became a little bit of a signature for you to give a shout out to somebody who um, uh, you know who normally would not get that kind of uh, national shine. Yes. Uh, so again, this was totally new for me, Richard. Right? I didn't know how to play it at the end of at the end of games. Right? All the broadcasters you say all their partners' names and for our entire crew, I'm Steve Levy. So long from whatever city you might you might be in. Right? And so I sort of got into a, a habit of you know adding a name or subtracting a name so the names would be different. And I think it might have started halfway through the season. Uh, we lost someone on our crew for a few weeks to, to the coronavirus. And I wanted that person to know we were thinking about them. And so, you know, I didn't say anything about the coronavirus. We were missing them or anything like that. I just, I just, you know, gave their name and their title and the credits, you know? So it was sort of a, if you knew, you knew. And if you didn't, it was just a nod for their great work. We have, uh, our productions managers set up. We were going to San Francisco, right? 
And that's right before the 49ers uh, decided that, well, the town, uh, Santa Clara, said they couldn't play their games there. So they picked up and moved their entire operation to Arizona in a week span. So uh, Jess Krause and Jody Britt, who are our production managers, uh, they had, you know, they had, they're the ones had to find hotel rooms and reorganize everything for everybody in a week's notice. And uh, so I thought that week was a nod to them. And I, so I wasn't doing it on my own. I would ask Phil and Jimmy, hey, who, who, you know, who needs the nod this week? Who deserves a little extra love this week? And so that sort of became a thing. I always feel like, you know, everybody knows our names. You know, we're with you for three hours. You see us once in a while on TV. Um, and if, you know, if somebody's grandfather gets a kick out of hearing their grandkid's name on TV, then, you know, I put a smile on somebody's face or a, a job well done. And, and so that's always been, a, you know, kind of been important to me. Yeah, no, it means it means something to people who do not, who are not quote unquote on air talent or front facing. Yeah. It always means a lot. So I, I appreciate you doing that. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver. It's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, I want to finish up with hockey. Um, yeah. Your your hockey tenure at ESPN obviously is very notable. You've uh, um, you've covered the Stanley Cup forever. You, I think, called the longest televised NHL Stanley Cup playoff game in history, at least as a U.S. broadcaster, right? Five overtimes, Pittsburgh, Philly in yeah, 2000? Yeah, so I've done uh, – I had done the three longest ever, Canada, U.S., anywhere. I had done the three longest ever, and one of them got knocked out last year. So I think I have two of the longest three. Wow. Yeah, a couple of five overtime dandies, yep. Okay, so – and that, by the way, is its own skill set to call the NHL versus um, – versus other sports you know one of the things that's been very identifiable for you is I would say you and Linda Cohn and Barry Melrose obviously are the three most prominent figures associated with hockey at ESPN now of course everybody knows and Butchergrass and Butchergrass my apologies to John Butchergrass absolutely yeah it's social media uh juggernaut with his overtime stuff you're right so you four um you know those of us who grew up with ESPN obviously we saw a lot of hockey at ESPN before uh, versus slash outdoor life network now NBCSN has the contract. Um, where does your confidence lie that within your ESPN lifespan they will either get the NHL back in some form or that the NHL we will become more prominent as an ESPN entity um, heading forward? Uh, so what what's the difference between those two things? We get the rights back or it becomes prominent on ESPN? Well, I would say that if you get the rights back, I mean, obviously, if you get the major package back, well, that's a game changer. And obviously, you got to oh, find all I the see, I see. So and yep. you, I know you. Br- there are going to be games in some form probably on ESPN or ESPN Plus, I should say. But um, but I think you'll have to admit, like, while the sport is still covered by ESPN, it's not as prominent as the NFL and it's not as prominent as college football or um, – uh, or UFC or college basketball, and you're a hockey guy. So I'm just wondering yeah. for you, uh, like, what's that been like for you? The sport still exists on your at your company and at your network, but it's not as prominent as obviously some of the other sports that appear there. The the people behind the scenes, like you know, you just mentioned us for you know, obviously our love for the game. The people behind the scenes when we lost the the rights, I don't know, was it 15, 16 years ago? Yep. I mean, it was it was like people lost their puppy. Like, I mean, camera people, audio technicians, all the studio. I mean, people were like devastated. Like they lost a family member. The love for hockey uh, runs so, or ran so deep back in the day um, that we, we, you know, I, I am optimistic. We're going to get another piece of it back, but I have heard, I have been down this road before, you know, every time the contract has come up and I, I've heard from executives in the past, Hey, we were right there, but, you know, uh, right of first refusal, they could always go over the top or whatever it was we offered. And I, I stay away from that stuff. It's way, way, way above me, but it was kind of cool to be in the know a little bit. So I have definitely heard the whispers, you know, we're in the mix. We're right there. It's getting close. So I am optimistic we'll get, you know, some form of it back. And obviously I'd love to be a part of that. Uh, that would make for a pretty great Levy year, right? To do uh, 
do Monday night football, finish up the Super Bowl in Australia and, and head right into the NHL and the Stanley Cup final, take the summer off. That's a pretty good year, Richard, right? Do you, does you, when you are calling the NHL versus the NFL, like, are you intentionally telling yourself either mentally or something else that you got to go quicker, that my pace has got to be, you know, it's, 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 you know, how you said for calling Monday night football and I grew like, I thought this was smart. Like you took a beat. You wanted to bring it down at times. Well, the NHL, you can't bring it down. It's got to be the reverse, right? You got to go, you got to go up. So is that, how do you navigate that? Cause those are two different sports. Totally different, uh, totally different skill. The way you, you handle that dude, cause there's no looking down. You can't look down in hockey. Uh, there's, there's really no looking down. So there's no spotter. You're on your own. Um, and it is just, you know, constant flow, constant action. And, and listen, I, I could be talking for, you know, four or five minutes without the analyst ever jumping in. And obviously in the NFL, that's different. The play-by-play could be 12 seconds, right? The actual action itself in the NFL could be 12 seconds. And then I have an opportunity to look down and come up with a story, but in the NHL, it's, it's totally different. And, um, you know, the NHL, people always say, hey, what's the toughest sport to call? Hockey must be the most difficult. I, back in the day, I got to call, uh, I think I called five Major League Baseball games. And this always shocks people. I thought it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, it, there's so much space. There's so much time, right, in between pitches and outs and innings. Uh, and and the, the silence and the dead air, and it sounds uncomfortable. It's probably not, but when you're in the booth, it just felt that way. And so uh, hockey, that go, go, go has always been for me. I love that pace of that. Um, and then the NFL was, you know, was definitely different. It was a, a quick burst kind of thing uh, with the enthusiasm. And again, I, I didn't get to experience with a crowd, right? Me, me screaming touchdown. I was always concerned the guys on the field could hear me, right? In an empty stadium. Like I'm going to bother them, you know? Um, and I think the crowd helps any broadcaster rise up. And nothing sounds better than, you know, a big-time scoring play, regardless of the sport, when the crowd roars and you lay out. And so, you know, we really didn't lay out in the NFL this year. And that's a big sort of part of my style. I think whatever style I have, I, I think I speak less, uh, generally speaking, than, than most play-by-play broadcasters. And especially, you know, having a three-man booth uh, lends to a lot less words from the play-by-play person anyway. But um, that was a little harder without having the crowd and the, you know, the roar of the hockey crowd and the playoffs, that crowd is just incredible. It just listen, it's what we love about sports, man. I, I go, I think I go to more games as a fan, maybe than anybody in the industry, really. I, I, I still love on my off days or off nights. I still love going to games. It helps me professionally because I understand what our audience is, is going through in terms of, Hey, paying for parking, sitting in line, waiting in line for the bathroom, how much the beer cost, uh, TV timeouts in the arena, in the stadium. So I, I feel that, you know, I understand that aspect of it, but I still love going to games, and that's baseball included. And whenever I can, uh, I just do that. So, um, you know, I'm just a massive sports fan. I am excited to be there. I am excited to be in that spot. And uh, that's why I go back to sort of how we started, how I'm the luckiest guy on the planet, man. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Last two um, for me. Who would uh, who would my who would my listeners be surprised that you either reached out to prior to the season for advice, or either during the season or before the season reached out to you to say something that was thoughtful or that you that you that uh, that stayed with you. Um. So if I said Mike Tirico, you probably probably wouldn't be a surprise, right? Still good, kind of good, expect- good name, but no, I would have expected that. Yeah. Right. So I talked to uh, I talked to Mike Tirico, uh, Sean McDonough and Joe Tessitore. Right. Uh, all three were incredibly gracious with their time. Tess is, you know, Tess was great to me when I got back into college football. Um, you know, people figure that that's the only reason I got here. Right. So so Mike leaves. Nobody thinks Mike Tirico is going to leave and he leaves for this unbelievable opportunity in NBC. 
And then, you know, Sean goes to Monday night and that opened up college football for me. That's how I got back into college. And so I went to Joe Tess. Hey, Tess, give me a, you know, what do you do? How do you play this? How do you handle this? And Tess was great. And so, you know, I went back to all three of those guys. Um, I also, I called Joe Buck. And so maybe, maybe that's the surprise. I don't know if that's really a surprise. Uh, I'd come across Joe a few times socially and uh, Joe was just terrific. He was terrific to talk to. Uh, gave me a lot of time, occasional text during the season. Um, and I spoke, you know, again, throughout the course of the season, Sean, Mike, and Joe, and Charles Barkley reached out a couple times during the season. He was one of my favorite guys on the planet, and so uh, he would send the note. But, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, not so much constructive criticism, just well wishes. Hey, it's great to hear you. Great to see you. And listen, you know, it was going to a different audience, right? People in my past who – you know, maybe not see, don't watch the 11 o'clock sports center anymore, but everybody watches Monday night football. So I, I think people, you know, thought I fell off the face of the earth and, and just reappeared on Monday night starting in September. But that part of it was really nice to, to hear from people. And I got a lot of uh, constructive criticism from people in the building in Bristol. And I asked for it. I asked for it. I wanted it. And it, it made me better for sure. Yeah, I'm mean, listening. If you want criticism, just head on Twitter uh, any day, and you're, <laughs> you'll be set uh, for all of us. I've done that too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Last one for me, and this is, um, you know, you you joined ESPN, Steve, in 1993. So we're coming up very soon on a on a 30 year anniversary, which is honestly that's an incredible run um, in terms of the highest levels of sports broadcasting. Not only. Um, in order to stay at a place that long, obviously you have to have uh, talent and, and you have to have relationships. But there is something, I think, to sort of navigating the dynamics of bosses and management and changing POVs. It's not an easy question for someone to ask about, uh, to answer about themselves. But um, how have you navigated just the dynamics of everything that has happened with ESPN during those 28 years to continue to not only be employed, but to be employed at one of the, I think, one of the best on-air jobs that exists there. Yeah, look, you know, ESPN has been unbelievable uh, to me and my family, really from the beginning. You know, I grew up in uh, the New York City, Long Island area, and I was working in Manhattan, and I thought I had the best job. I was doing, you know, local WCBS, WFAN, MSG, living in a high-rise in Manhattan, think I had the life, and then, you know, got the call to go to Bristol. like, what? leave Manhattan, huh? <laughs> and uh, it wound up obviously being the greatest move I have ever made. Um, you know, ESPN, just just the people there have been so great to me. And I, I'm not sure I can explain it. I, I don't want to go back to, you know, just I, it, it can't all be luck. And I, I do feel how fortunate I am. And I've made that point to you a number of times here on this podcast. I try really hard. I try really hard in two ways. I try really hard to be a good guy. And I try really hard to be really good at my job. So, you know, some of it is a work ethic. You know, my dad never missed a day of work in his life. Honestly, like, you know, he, he turned 80 a couple of years ago and finally retired. So, you know, stop taking two subways and a bus in Manhattan, you know, every single day to and from and all that stuff. So I'd like to think I got some of the work ethic there. I think I had, I think I called out three times in, you know, in, in these Honestly, three to five times called out sick in, in my sports center career, you know, five nights a week, whatever it was. And uh, one time I had a broken rib playing in a hockey tournament with Melrose. And uh, Pito told me I should go right to the hospital. Instead, I stayed and did the show. But uh, I don't want to get off Dedic track. So dedica I think dedication. It's been, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I've never, ever said, oh, I don't want to go to work tonight. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that kind of job. It's not that kind of place. And every time I leave ESPN, and I mean this from my heart, and I do see it in the rear view as I'm pulling out of the parking lot, you know, how lucky am I to be at this place for all these years? I've had so many great opportunities, so many doors open. And yes, it's been relationships. It's like, you know, I have those relationships, and that's a product of being there for so long, right? Um, I can text people at the high level and, and get them on the phone, but I'm not asking for a lot either. Uh, I've never overranked myself either. I, I've always thought I knew where I stood, you know, which I'm, I'm, I don't see myself, you know, Stuart Scott was a superstar. You know what I mean? Chris Berman, Stephen A. Smith, Scott Van Pelt, like those guys, like those are, they're TV stars, you know? And I just, I never saw myself like that. I just see myself sort of as the distributor, even on SportsCenter, you know, and Kenny Maines being hysterical and Butcher Gross and Anderson do this and that. 
I'm always the guy next to him, the straight guy. I'm a good audience. I like to laugh, you know? And it's the same thing in the booth. The hard-hitting stuff comes from the other guys, and I want to put them in the right spots. So, listen, I work really hard. I try really hard. But so do an awful lot of people in this industry. And for whatever reason, uh, it's worked out for me. And so I'm going to keep doing that. And that's what I'm going to preach. And uh, the characters are part of this. Uh, don't let it fool you. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, you be on time and you never say no. Like, you know, there were times, you know, I wasn't supposed to work, had a day off, an emergency came up. Come on in. Sure. I never turned it down. Never, ever said no to ESPN. And I think, uh, you know, all those things combined uh, have worked in my favor and have, have helped to get me to the spot I'm in right now. Steve Levy is the lead play-by-play commentator for Monday Night Football. He um, He's one of the Sports Center anchors. Obviously, you have uh, heard and seen him if you are an ESPN watcher uh, probably for most of your life and certainly depending on who is listening to this. Uh, he's been on the air perhaps before you were even born. Steve, um, I really appreciate you giving me some time and insight. Uh, I really found this interesting. Uh, I wish you uh, nothing but continued success heading forward. And thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. RD, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the patience. Uh, Long overdue. And uh, let's do this again down the road. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Steve Levy for uh, his time and candor. Of course, thank you to Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry for producing this podcast. Head to the archives. Uh, If you like this stuff, leave us a five-star review and uh, a nice note. It really, really helps. The podcast before this one, An Examination of Super Bowl Viewership with John O'Rand and Austin Karp of the Sports Business Daily. Before that, Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post on her transition from uh, political reporting to being a national baseball writer. Actually, even before that, she was a, a beat writer for the Nationals for the Washington Post. And Sportsnet's Donovan Bennett on uh, COVID-19 and sports coverage, as well as his initiatives in Canada uh, regarding BIPOC and uh, getting uh, voices of color more exposure. Uh, Rhiannon Walker and Britt Giroli, my colleagues at The Athletic, were a podcast before that talking about the Jared Porter story and sexual harassment among those who cover, who are women who cover sports. Before that, Noah Eagle on calling the Nickelodeon NFL game. And Ryan Clark on uh, hockey coverage nationally, and uh, he's about to cover the Seattle Kraken for the Athletic. He actually is covering the Seattle Kraken, but that season or that team will start play very, very soon and should be awesome. Again, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives. You'll probably find something that you enjoy. My thanks, as always, to the heads of Cadence 13 from Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott. And uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. This is Richard Deitch, and we'll see you again soon on the Sports Media Podcast.